So some things in life only work if they are centered. So take a seesaw, for example. I think we're going to have a demonstration here to see if it actually works if it is centered. Okay, please, please make it work, okay? Okay. All right, that's good. Can you get a little lower? Can you get a little, a little more dramatic? Oh, oh, yeah, nice. Okay, all right, so good. So this is the way a seesaw is supposed to work. Now, now what I want us to do is we're going to slide this over off center. Okay, be careful, no injuries here, but does it work? No. Okay, now, very carefully, you've made your point, but very carefully, get up, okay, because we still don't want any injuries. All right, thank you for making my point. Thank, thank these guys for doing that. So, so some things only work if they're centered, and relationships are a lot like a seesaw. When they get off-center, they don't, they don't work very well. When we start to get into conflict, they, they don't work well. And so I've experienced this uh, in, in my family. So this is true confessions here, pastors, family. If you need a perfect family that never has any conflict in their home, you're going to have to find somebody else. But... Um, we have five people in our family, and inevitably what will happen is two of them, and pick any two, including me, will get into some kind of squabble and some kind of conflict. And so they're kind of going at it, neat, 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 you know, back and forth. And then inevitably a third person will start to get into it because they're saying, will you guys keep it down because I'm trying to read my Bible, you know? <laughs> Or my iPad or, or whatever it happens to be. Well, you guys just pipe down. And so then they get into it. And then a parent steps into it and tries to restore order. And so then you got everybody kind of going at it because it's, it's off center. Probably you've experienced that unless you're in the perfect home. Let me know how you've accomplished that. So perfect homes or your workplace. I mean, if, if you've experienced being off center and having conflict in a relationship, you know the toll that that takes on your relationships. You know how at the workplace it, it causes your productivity to go down. Because at then all you're doing, is, it seems like sometimes, is dealing with people stuff. And meanwhile, over here, like what is it that you're supposed to be producing? I mean, that's not even getting done because you're just so busy trying to solve the, the people stuff. I mean, it robs us of our joy. Um, and it's extreme when we get way off center. It ends in divorce or broken relationships that, that seem like they cannot be mended. When our relationships get into conflict, what we try to do is restore order, restore balance, um, bring back that centeredness. And we do that in a variety of ways. Some of us have personalities where we, we try to restore centeredness by trying to force our way. Well, if everybody would just agree with me, then, then things would come back into balance. Or we go for counseling, which can be a good thing. But, but what, what happens so many times is where we look to things that are outside of us to try to restore that balance and that centeredness. And what we're going to see this morning is that the real core of conflict is not something outside of us at all. It's not something about our circumstances. It's something inside of us, an, an internal problem that, that we have. And the reason that our relationships get off-centered is because we have this internal issue, 
And the bad news about that issue is that you and I can't fix it. You and I can't make that problem go away. That's the bad news. The good news is that God has provided a way for us to recenter in our relationships. And as we look at what that solution is that he's provided, for some of us, that is gonna be a surprise. For some of us, it's gonna be a solution that we have never really considered. So if you would take a Bible and turn to Philippians chapter two. As Daryl said, there's Bible uh, there close to you, and that's page 1084. You're also welcome to look this up if you've got a Bible on your device. Welcome to follow along there. This new series we are calling Off Center, and today we're talking about relationships being off center and the solution for that. It turns out that there's a lot of areas of our life that can get off center. Uh, We can get off centered uh, in our, our workplace, in the things that we're pursuing, in our career. We may be barking up the wrong tree. We can get off center in our finances. I mean, every area of our life can get off center. And the good news is that the solution that God has provided to recenter us recenters every area of our life. And before we get into this and describe what that solution is, I, I just want to give you a heads up that some of you this morning are here and you are, you are not going to follow, you're not going to understand what we're talking about at all. This is going to be so out there that you're going to be like, this, this just does not compute with the way I have always thought, with the way the people around me talk. It's not going to make sense to you. And, and that's okay, especially if you are just, just exploring uh, who Jesus is, what is faith, all about, then this probably won't make sense to you. But I hope that what will happen is it'll plant a seed for you that then can germinate over time and maybe it will make sense for you down the road. For many of the rest of us, what we talk about this morning is gonna make mental, logical sense to you. But the living out of this is very different than just understanding it cognitively. And so that's where the challenge is going to be for many of us this morning is what does it look like to live this out in in my life? So we're we're going to begin uh, this morning. Let me actually just give you a little bit of background about this book of Philippians. So Philippians is one of many letters in the New Testament that a man named Paul wrote to churches to help them with problems that they were having. Uh, among other things. He was, he was explaining to them who Jesus was and how they can have a relationship with him. But a lot of times these churches were having problems and he was giving advice to them. Here's how you deal with this problem. And in Philippi, this major metropolitan city, one of the problems we see if we read the whole way through the book is we're going to see they were having some problems with conflict. And so we see evidence of that. I had you turn to chapter 2, but I want you to turn to chapter 4 first. We we see some evidence that there's conflict and off-centeredness in uh, Philippians 4, verse 2. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. So he's like, I'm pleading with these ladies to come to an agreement. Verse 3, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement, the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. So there's something going on between these two ladies, and he's saying, help them with this. In chapter 2, verse 14, uh, he says, Do all things without grumbling or 
disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. So he says, don't be disputing. There's there's conflicts going on. The verses that we're going to look at today are going to show us that there was conflict going on. And that shouldn't surprise us because, first of all, the people in this church in Philippi are human beings. So I, I always think, you know, it only takes two people to have a conflict. Sometimes one will do. And so there's human beings we're dealing with here, and they're in this major metropolitan area. And so there's all these diverse ways of looking at life. There's diverse religions. There's diverse philosophies of life. And so it's no surprise that for them they would have these conflicts going on, much like the conflicts that you and I experience. And so Paul teaches them how to deal with this conflict and how to deal with relationships that are off-center. So now let's read our verses for today. Chapter 2, verse 1. So, if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Okay, so Paul zeroes right in on the root cause of conflict, and he says it's selfishness. We see that in verse 3. Do nothing from what? Selfish ambition. Okay, help me out here. Do, in verse 3, he says, do nothing from what? Selfish ambition. In verse 4, he says, let each one of you look not only to what? His own interests, but also to the interests of others. So selfishness is at the core of this conflict and this off-centeredness. See, selfishness is there, is, is, puts us off-center because it puts me in the center. When I am in the center of my story, then my story is going to be off balance. Arguments, conflict, contention, I mean, all of these are evidence of selfishness. Now, this is really, really easy to see when you're watching someone else who's in a conflict. I mean, have you ever watched somebody, or maybe you've tried to mediate for somebody and and help them work through something, and you just think, you know, you're just being selfish. I mean, maybe you're thinking that. I mean, you probably can't say that because they're probably not going to be able to receive that. But you're thinking, man, this, you're, you're just being selfish. You're just being so self-centered. If you could just get past yourself, maybe you could come to a, an understanding, an agreement on this. This is so easy to see in other people. So hard to see in the mirror. Because the way conflicts typically go when I am involved in the conflict is I just think, you know, if you would just agree with me, then this conflict would go away. I mean, that's, that's the solution, right? I mean, that's the me-centeredness that is a default. I mean, Scripture's picture of us as human beings is not very complimentary. It's very different from the message that our culture gives us. Our culture says people are basically good, basically altruistic. We want to help other people. Scripture paints a very different picture, Scripture tells us that we are me-centered, 
from, from the get-go, from the moment that we are born, we, we cry out, literally, as babies, gimme, 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 I meet my needs, and we are all about me. And so, I'll give you an example. I, I could give you so many examples. We could be here all day, but none of us is interested in that. So I'll give you one simple example of a way that I can be so me-centered. And this is, you know, I do a lot of communicating with people, so I'm making calls or I'm sending emails, and sometimes I'm asking people for something to get back to me. And over the years, like, it, it just seems like many times people do not respond to my messages as quickly as I think they should be responding and sometimes I'll be sitting there, you know, tapping, you know, my desk, and when is this person, why is this person not getting back to me? And then I start filling in the blanks. Okay, they're not getting back to me because they don't care. They don't care about me. They're just doing their own thing, and they don't care about me, or they're mad at me. What, what did I do? And then I, then I come up with defenses about, like, why they shouldn't be mad at me. And so all this stuff is going around in my head, only to find out later that they had a family emergency, or they were out of town, or whatever. They were doing something that had nothing to do with me, but in my own little world, in my own little head, it was all about me. And so there's this tendency towards me. I could give you dozens of more examples of that. And Paul says that the solution to our selfishness is to put others first. That's what he says in verse 3. Don't, don't do anything from selfish ambition, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Verse 4, let, let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. So we put others first, and then that leads us to what we see in verse 2, which is this beautiful picture of, of unity. He says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. And when he says one mind there, he's not talking about uniformity. He's talking about unity. I'm putting others' interests in ahead of my own, and let's, let's come to an agreement where we each contribute our own uniqueness, and we see this beautiful unity come out of that. Wouldn't, wouldn't you love for your home, your workplace, your church to look like that? I mean, I don't know anybody that goes and looks for a job and says, I can't wait to get in this job, and I picked this place specifically because I know there's a lot of drama there. <laughs> I just can't wait to get there because I know there's all kinds of infighting and power struggles and gossip going on. I can't wait to be part of that. I mean, most people are running the other way to get away from that. Pre-married couples. Uh, Sherry and I meet with pre-married couples. We've met with a number of couples over the years. And I've never yet asked a couple, what are you looking forward to in marriage? And they tell me, you know, the, the honeymoon and, you know, being together a lot and stuff like that. That's going to be good. But what I really can't wait for is the conflict. <laughs> I can't wait until we get into an argument that is so severe that we're just, we're just like tearing each other down. And, and after the fight, maybe we start throwing stuff. And then after it's over, then I run off this way and, or I go for a drive and I'm so confused and disoriented and off center. I don't know what to do next. I can't wait for that. No, nobody says that. I mean, what we want is the picture that we have here in verse two. And 
the solution to that, the way we get there, is to stop being selfish and put others first. But there's something else here that we must not miss. Because we can't get to verse 2 and the beautiful picture of unity unless we go through verse 1. What does verse 1 say again? So if there is any encouragement, what? In Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So, so that if there, actually in the Greek, could be translated better since. It's an assumption that this is true. These are realities in our life when we come into relationship with Christ. There are five things here. Encouragement, comfort, participation in the Spirit, affection and sympathy that are available to us in Christ. And so the, the solution to our centeredness question is really found in the word joy. Jesus first, others second, and then you third. You've probably heard this before. This is not original with me. I stole it with gusto this week because it's perfect to encapsulate this, this passage that we are looking at. See, we get the order backwards so many times, and we put ourselves first because we're me-censored. And then sometimes we think, well, we realize that that's a problem. And so we say, well, I'll put others before myself. And we make others first. And that's a problem too. Because when we put others first so many times, we get into relationships that we, lab- we could label codependent. Have you ever heard that term before? Codependency means that you're, you're, it looks like you're putting others first. It looks like you're pouring yourself out and you're just doing everything you can to help another person. And in reality, what's behind that is still a me-centeredness because a lot of times with codependent relationships, you're helping someone because you want them to need you. You need them to need you because you need some kind of purpose in, in your life. And it's really not helping the other person or putting them first at all. That, see, see how me-centered we could get? We could twist anything. I, I don't know about you. I can twist anything that could be good into something really ugly because of my me-centeredness. And the only way out of that is to put Jesus at the center. If Jesus is first, then we have at least a hope of getting back to center, of getting back to balance. And that's probably not going to stay, but we'll see. So, Jesus needs to be in the, the center. When, when I am the central character in my story, my story is going to be off-center. When others, when someone else is the center of my story, it's going to be off-center. But when Christ is the center, that is when we have the hope of things coming back to be Centered again. There are five things here in verse one, five resources that are available to us that give us the capacity to actually get ourselves out of the center of things and put others first. And they all come from Christ. If there's any encouragement from Christ, in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, in other words, God's Spirit comes to live in us walk with us, empower us, if there's any affection and sympathy. Think about those words. I mean, those are the things that we long for. Encouragement, affection, sympathy. We don't talk about those things a lot of times. We, we talk about being productive and 
marking off to-dos lists and getting projects done. And I mean, we talk about those kind of things and our minds are occupied with those kind of things. But when we strip all of the busyness away, what our hearts long for is encouragement, affection, somebody to care about us, somebody to love us. And those are available for us in Christ. See, being connected with Christ gives us the capacity to put others ahead of ourselves, but he needs to be first. Now, I'm going to meddle for just a minute. Okay, Pastors have the privilege to do that. I'm going to meddle with you a little bit. Okay, I think that Christ followers get this wrong just about as often as atheists. Uh, atheists just say there, there isn't a God, and there's no God to know, and there's no God to draw life from and follow, and as Christ followers, we, we come to a point where we say, well, I, I know that I can't take care of my eternal life problem. I know that I can't take, I have a sin problem that I need Jesus to, to die for me in my place and substitute his perfect life for my imperfect life. I know I need him to forgive me of my sin because I know that I don't have any hope of getting to eternal life. Now, so some people don't even get to that point because some people are still trying to work their way to eternal life. They're thinking, if I can just do enough good things to outbalance my bad things, then I'll be able to, to get there myself too. That's me-centered. But many of us have come to the point of saying, I know I can't do that. I need Jesus to carry me across that threshold. When I die physically, there's nothing more I can do. I, my life is in his hands. So we place our life in his hands at that point. But then we say, well, from this point, Jesus, I can take it from here now. I'll, I'll carry myself now, and I'll, I'll get myself to that point, and then you carry me over the threshold into the next life. And, and Scripture tells us, and Jesus tells us, that that was never God's intention for us. God's intention for us is to be dependent on him, to be Christ-centered every day, every moment of our lives, to be dependent. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 15. He said, abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you bear fruit unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, Jesus said, you can do nothing. Can I just be honest with you and tell you that for, for most of my life, I have chafed against these words. I've resented these words because I don't really want to be dependent on anybody else. I don't really want to be dependent on Jesus. Because here's the honest truth. I want to stay in control of my life. Because I think if I can stay in control of my life, then, then I can try to orchestrate it and move it in a direction that it's going to turn out okay. And if I turn over that control to somebody else, even if it's Jesus, I'm just not sure where he's going to take me or what he's going to do. But Jesus says, if, if you're going to do that, if, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to go off and try to do life on my own, if I'm even going to try to obey him on my own, apart from him, I can't, I can't do that. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So I'm called to dependence. I'm called to Christ-centeredness. And I'm learning slowly over time to find the freedom of turning over that control. It's exhausting to try to be in control all the time, especially when people aren't doing the stuff that you want them to do. 
Just turn over that control and say, Christ, I find my life in you. You lead me where you want me to go. And oh, by the way, Jesus, in being connected with you, there's all these things we see in Philippians 2, verse 1. Encouragement, comfort, affection, sympathy. I want those things in my life. And the path to centeredness is joy. Jesus, others, and you and I last. Our staff has been praying since January. In, in January, we met and we, we prayed and we said, Lord, what, what would you want us as a church to focus on in the next ministry year that starts July 1st? And this idea was what raised, what came to the surface as we prayed, was that we should focus on helping people move from being me-centered to Christ-centered. I believe th- this is the core of everything. I mean, this is the core of everything we are about as a church. This is the solution to every problem that, that you and I have. Not that God is some pragmatist that just wants to solve all of your problems, but what you and I don't realize is that sometimes we're dealing with situations and relational breakdowns, and we're trying to fix them apart from this, and there is no fixing them apart from this truth and this reality that Christ has to be in the center in order to have any hope of bringing our other relationships back into centeredness. So as a staff, we've said we want to help people over this next year. How do we help move them from me-centeredness to Christ-centeredness? So we developed several strategies for that, one of which is to help educate people. And so Joan mentioned earlier in the announcements that we have a, a class starting next week, and it's called a marriage and family class, but you don't have to be part of a marriage or even, I mean, you're part of a family, but you you can be a single, whoever. Please uh, make use of that because really that class is all about this, is all about how to resolve conflict, um, how to just walk through life, how to be a closer follower of, of Jesus Christ. And as you and I pursue that, it starts to clean up the other messes in, in our lives. Chuck, uh, Pastor Chuck, as he offers counseling and other pastors, as we meet to, with people for counseling, I mean, the, the ultimate solution that we will be offering to you is to point you back to Christ and having Christ in the center, displacing me as a center or anybody else as the center. So as we read through Philippians, and I would encourage you uh, to read through Philippians uh, this afternoon in the coming week. It takes less than 10 minutes to read through the whole thing. Interesting thing is you see here uh, joy over and over and over again in Philippians. And the reason that's so interesting is because the background of this is Paul is writing from a prison cell, and yet he's talking about how joyful he is. Not only is he in a prison cell, which doesn't sound like a fun place to be, He's in a prison cell for doing what God asked him to do. And I'm thinking, if I were in his shoes, I would be all about me at this point. I would be throwing a big pity party, and yet he is thinking about joy, and he's supporting and helping these other people in this church. And the only reason he's able to do that is because he's not consumed with Paul. He's consumed with Christ. And as you and I get into the situations of our lives, the difficulties of our lives, the circumstances of our lives that are a mess, the the reason that we will be able to find joy is not because we're consumed with me, but because we're consumed with Christ. So, 
next time you're in conflict, it's a good opportunity for you to, to take inventory. Who is in the center? So this is a conflict that you're involved in and you're struggling with. Just pause. Hit the pause button. This is an amazing capacity that human beings have. That we can hit the pause button and ask ourselves, who is in the center right now? So if it's, if it's you, and then others are second, and then Jesus is last, that, that spells yaj. And I, I don't know what that is, but it doesn't sound good. And uh, Maybe someone else is in the center. Maybe it's an other in the center, and you are second, and Jesus is third. That, that spells oij. I don't know what that is either. Joy is only going to be found if Jesus is first and others are second and I am last. That's the first question to ask is who's in the center. And then second question to ask is, how, am I connected to Jesus in such a way that I am drawing life from him? Am I like that branch that is connected to that vine? Is, is that connection strong and drawing life from Christ. And, and how does that happen? That happens as we listen to what he has said. So we're, we're in his word, listening to what he says to us, and then praying back to him. We're talking back to him. There's, there's no magic formula for this. It's really a matter of cultivating our connection with Christ. Because it is our connection with Christ that gives us the capacity to be able to put others ahead of ourselves and get Jesus, others, and you in the right order that they should be. Let's pray. Um, Jesus, we thank you that you are a Savior who is worthy of being in the center. You existed from eternity past. You, you created. You were a participant in creating all that is in each one of us. And you came and redeemed us even when we had turned our backs and rebelled against you. And so we thank you that you are a Savior that is worth putting in the center. And you are able to hold the weight of that glory and that honor as we worship you. So Lord, give us grace. And I just, I pray this from the bottom of my heart for on my behalf and each person in this room. Because I know how hard it is for me to get past me. And Lord, I pray you give us grace each to learn how to grow in this area that we not, may not be consumed and have ourselves in the center of our story, that we may not have another person in the center of our story, but that you, Jesus, may be in the center of all we think, say, do, wish for, hope. And then we may receive those marvelous provisions that you have made available to us so that then we truly can put others ahead of ourselves and, and live out the life that you have ordained for us. We pray these things, and through your strength, in, in your name, Jesus, and through your strength, because we cannot do this on our own. Amen.